Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. Today we have Julie Chang on the show. She is a TV journalist, an actor, and host of 940 Life on YouTube. She's also a wife, a mother, and a brain tumor survivor. And she's my neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> So convenient. Yes, <laughs> we yes. carpooled yeah, here yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. But this is the first time I'm seeing work, Julie. Oh. Normally it's like we're like pajama beach. Oh yeah. Vibe. Crocs. You I know. <laughs> well, that's not us. That's our you know husband. Husband. Maybe. Um, we haven't really given up on life that hard yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. So today we're gonna talk about your marriage. Yeah. That whole journey. Yeah. And I love talking to high performing women. About oh. their marriages, because we're a specific breed. Okay. I, I, this is all news <laughs> to me to be put in that category, but thank you. Oh, you are definitely <laughs> a high performer. She also surfs. You are an amazing surfer. And she does, like, expert yoga. She's doing, like, these handstand press-ups. Yeah. Well, well I was just going to say, sure. you left so much out in my bio. I was... <laughs> I was like, that's all. I'm a rock star by day, quesadilla maker by night. <laughs> With the kids, she has yeah. a seven-year-old and a three-year-old. Lulu's three, mm -hmm. right? Amazing. Yeah, you are for sure a high performer. Thank you. Yes. I've had no choice because like, I've had some crazy curveballs thrown at me. So, Okay, can we start by talking about your lovely husband, Leigh? Yes. Can I tell you, I've never told you this. The f so we moved in last year oh, and I saw him before I saw you. Uh-huh. He was in Speedos. <laughs> he was in Speedos and he was hosing himself off in your front yard, I guess after a swim. Yeah. And then I, I was like looking through the window. I'm like, because he has a, he's a swimmer. He has that, the V. Yeah. Six pack. And yeah. I was like, okay. I'm like, we have a hot neighbor. <laughs> and I knew uh, a realtor had told us like, yeah. oh, Julie Chang uh, lives across the street, but I hadn't seen you yet. And then yeah. I, I saw you eventually and I'm like. Oh and my gosh, you are. Yeah, beautiful. there's a Christine Chang moving in. I was like, the Chang factory. Okay, <laughs> it's happening. I love it. Yeah, no. I love it. Yeah. So, I mean, Leif, he's he's beautiful. What is he like? He is Swedish? A, he's Norwegian? beautiful. He's half he's... Norwegian, half Scottish. Yes. And uh, he's a college swimmer. So, and somehow it like retained. Um, but it's like all for show because I can't, he can't do, he, he like maybe do two setups, but he has what? like an eight pack. It's yes. just like the body has muscle memory, but it's, I mean, I have like way stronger core, but you would never know it by looking at us because my abs don't look like his. It's just, it's just kind of crazy. So I'm like, you're just like smoke good. and mirrors. I, good jeans. Yeah. Good jeans. Really good jeans. Yeah. So you, you've been together for a while now. Yeah. Yeah. How long have you been together? We've known each other since we were 13. Wow. Yeah. We grew up in the same hometown, Ann Arbor, Michigan. And then, um, but then we didn't reconnect to date till we were in our 30s. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. it's been, um, and then like, I guess from dating to marriage, everything combined, we've been together for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. Wow. That, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a long time to be yeah. with someone. But you know, I work in the media space yeah. and I know how short people's attention spans are. And I want to make sure that people watch this entire full podcast. Like you should watch all of them through, fully through anyway. But I, I know that people operate on teases of what's coming up. So we're going to go into the menage a trois, the bukake. <laughs> we're going to go into anal. <laughs> Like really good stuff. So I just need you to hang on for all of it. <laughs> you crack me up. You got to upload all the good stuff because people, we're competing with lots of podcasts out there, Christine. You're so 
funny. Oh my gosh. I think that's why you also make a great host and interviewer. I think you have to be really witty to be a good oh, one. Yeah, don't you think? Well, maybe. I don't know. But I it's just... hard it's hard for someone to say like I'm witty, but you are definitely you're so Well, funny. I think it's like I was told since birth what a big mistake I was, like my birth. Like I'm a third daughter who's seven and eight years younger than her sisters. Like I was definitely not a planned child. Like my mom would tell me like the most depressing story. She's like, oh yeah, so you know, I wanted to abort, but your dad was like, this might be a boy. So let's just, you know, and it was during a time where they couldn't tell gender in advance. So she has me and she said that my dad came to the hospital. They're lovely people. So don't, don't cast like judgment on this one story. But uh, five hours after I was born, he came and he was like bombed. He was drunk and he brought like a single rose and you know, she was just like, yeah, so that was your arrival. And so I think I just always had to kind of like dazzle and dance and just kind of, you know, I think a lot of my performance strengths come from insecurity. I think that's, yeah. you know, a it's, lot of people in this space, common. right? A, yeah. a lot of like the high achievers, oh, um, yeah. overachievers, I have that as well. Yeah. I think it's common in the Asian community, yeah, <laughs> the way so, that we're brought up. <laughs> yeah, so I think just the the quick wit and the needing to, you know, make people laugh and um, it is coming a lot oftentimes from that space. So I'm trying to be like more quiet and better listener these days. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned yeah. your family. Can we actually talk quickly about your sisters a little yeah. bit? Because you have mentioned that. And because I feel like our families, that kind of shapes how you show up to yeah. relationship yeah. and in this world. And you've done a lot of personal growth. And you and your sisters yeah. get along great now. You have a great relationship. Yeah. But it wasn't always like that oh, growing no. up, Oh, right? no. This is all kind of like recent. So long story short, um, my dad passed on when I was 24. And then quickly we really saw that my mom was having mental health challenges. We always kind of knew growing up, but we didn't know the severity of it. My dad was like really good at kind of like whisking her away and hiding the really bad episodes. And she was never formally diagnosed because she refuses to go get help. But it's just classic like narcissism, bipolar, depression. And she used the three of us to sort of like always have alliances and, you know, unhealthy competition. And um, and then we we decided collectively like we can't have that kind of verbal abuse in our lives and so we all have a strange relationship with my mom okay but when we took her out of the equation our our relationships were beautiful that's amazing did there have to be was there like therapy or anything or you just sat down and had a talk i think all of us got independent therapy we didn't get group but i think um it was just so clear what you know, the abuse that was being hurled towards us to be awful to each other. And the common denominator in all every drama was, you know, my mom stirring the pot, oh, you know, man. that's tough. And we love her. And I've, I've, I've forgiven her for everything. It's just that if she needs like an extra kidney, I'm the first in line. But I just, I don't think it serves her or me to be in a daily abusive relationship. So uh, that was like probably one of the biggest grown-up decisions I had to make yeah. was I to say, you know, and and the real, you know, I, I, I would never take back my brain tumor experience 
because it has given me so much in return. And one of the greatest things was when I had my brain tumor. That's when I had, like, when I got the diagnosis, that was the wake-up call for me to say, I can't have this toxicity in my life. Because I, she was probably the first person I called after the diagnosis, and her first words to me were, why would you do this to me? I have so much on my plate already to worry about. Like, how dare you get this sick? And I just remember I was at a maturity point enough to say, this is really not about me. This is her. And I need to walk away and, like, surround myself with people who are going to help me through this really big journey. And, um, yeah, so that was, like, a really clear moment for me where I was like, okay, you, you quickly, the brain tumor is like just gorgeous in a sense. Like you get to attend your own funeral. You see who shows up. Like the show. <laughs> you see who shows up for you. And um, yeah, and it just lets you like quickly house clean. You're like, okay, you in, you out. And even the people who weren't there, like I get it. Like people deal with like really scary news in different ways. Yeah. Um, and some of those people, you know, came back into my life when they were ready. And I respect that. Like, I respect you knowing your own boundaries and what you're comfortable with. Yeah. But um, it was such a beautiful journey in the sense it really um, showed me who was in it for the long haul in my life. And yeah. your husband. Yeah, it. yeah. That's a good segue to him. He's like, so I think we were... So Leif and I knew each other since we were teenagers. We went to rival high schools. I dated his best friend's older brother. Okay. <laughs> and so even though we were always in each other's orbit, he could never even make eye contact with me, A, because he's extremely shy. But B, I was older. I was dating, like, his swim captain's girlfriend, you know, like, so it was just, like, a lot of politics involved for him to even ever send flirty, like, vibes. Plus, he'll never admit to this, but like the entire town had a crush on him, like annoyingly. So I was like, internally, I was like, I don't want to play this game. Like, I'll come back for you later. <laughs> like, I'll plant the seed, come back for you in 20 years. And look, it worked. <laughs> it worked. No. And so we were dating in New York. And well, Long story short, I was working on a project that made me like reconnect with people from home. And in a single week, I think he was like the third person I met. And I send him this like really cryptic note. Like I I hadn't talked to him in 10 years. I'd, I had no idea like what he's up to. I go on his Facebook. It's on like triple lockdown mode. So it's like yeah. the last picture was from like eight years ago. <laughs> and I was like, well, clearly he's you know, gay now and married. <laughs> like, and that's okay. But like, whatever. Um, and so I like send him some generic. I'm like, hey, I'm working on a project. Like, could tell I can tell you more in person. Um, you know, if you even like read this. And he responded. And you'll, this is hilarious. So we meet for lunch. I have not talked to him in 10 years and we were like never super close so he's like what he thought i was going through aa and he thought i was like on like the whatever the step where it's like you got to make amends and so i show up to lunch and what is the first thing i order rosé so he's like oh like she is going through dark times like but i'm here for her like that's what's going through his mind and then cut to like you know there was just like instant chemistry and from that lunch on, we saw each other every day oh for God. six months before I moved to L.A. for a job opportunity here. 
to Hi. host a morning show for um, in with the specialty in entertainment. And so we're doing long distance. I get this crazy diagnosis. I have a brain tumor. And they have to tell you the whole gamut of like what could be the outcome, right? So they're like, good chance you'll lose some vision, if not all vision. Good chance you might have slurred speech because where your tumor is, it's like where all your sensors are controlled. So I'm like, oh, my God. And he was studying. Um, he was in an MBA program at the time. And he was in Japan for like a – or he was in Korea for a week. And, and when I called him, he was at a layover in Japan. So I tell him this diagnosis. And I'm like, listen, you are, what, 33? I'm like, this is a lot for anyone to sign up for after a year of dating, let alone like half of it long distance. Why don't we resume – if we resume, like, let's just see how this all plays out. But you do you, you live your life in Manhattan, like I'll do me and like, I don't expect you to carry this burden with me. He's like, okay. He immediately comes from Japan to my house in LA. And he's like, throw a white dress in the car. And um, we were going camping in Utah. And he's like, uh, I'm not like a Vegas Elvis Chapel type guy, but he's like, I bet you if we paid the person there, they'll meet us anywhere to marry us. And I was like, we're not, I'm like, I just tried to break up with you. Like, do, are you not, like, is this not <laughs> registering? I'm like, am I even like bad at breakups? Like what is happening? And he just is like, I looked into it and your insurance will pay 80% at best of a half a million dollar surgery. He's like, my work insurance will pay full if we're married. And he's like, I just don't think this is something that you want to worry about in addition to everything else. So it was like the most romantic, <laughs> it was the most unromantic but romantic yeah. reason, right? And so sure enough, we found a freelance um, minister to meet us in the middle of uh, the Red Rocks called Valley of Fire, two hours outside of Vegas. And it was just the three of us. And it was like the funniest thing. She like, I called her and she was like at a Renaissance festival. So sure <laughs> enough, she like shows up in a velvet dress and married us. But you know, it's our story. And it was just us under the desert sky. And um, and then two months later, I had my brain tumor surgery. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it was all paid for by his company, like, God bless. He was in one of those big Wall Street firms at the time. And they get such a bad rap and impressed for being greedy bankers. But I'm like, thank you. <laughs> I actually heard they changed the whole partner insurance policy since then. I was like, I was oh. probably the culprit. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that's like, you know, everyone always says to you, you want to be with the person that, like, like, imagine if you're in, you know, at a hospital bed, like, who's by your bedside? Like, I didn't have to imagine this. Yeah. It happened to me. And I saw how he showed up. Yeah. And that's just, like, literally sliver of the story. So after they took my tumor out, I did lose half my vision. And after three months on medical leave, like, I had to pay bills, so I had to go back to work. But my vision hadn't returned enough where I could drive, so he moved to L.A. full time, quit his job to take care of me, to nurse me. And he drove me to work for six months at three in the morning. Oh, my gosh. And he would, like, comb the blood clots out of my hair, just 
Yeah. And like, you just like, you're like, okay, like if he can love me through this. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like, you know, I almost feel like our story started at the end and is like filling the gaps in between because it's like, oh, like when we're 95 and I can't reach the back of my hair by myself, like he's my person. Absolutely. Yeah. He bathed me for like two months. Like I was completely bed rest. Yeah. Those are really good things to look for because yeah. anyone can show up when things are yeah. easy and yeah. great, right? I love whenever I anyone. tell this story and, and like people try to take it to a kinky place. They're like, oh, he bathed you. I was like, <laughs> that didn't, like, that didn't really? <laughs> really? That's your takeaway. <laughs> but that's the world we live in. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I was recovering from my brain tumor with the half shaved head and a nice silky teddy. He was bathing me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was like literally like, you know, that lady that feeds the pigeons at Central Park with just like layers of random pieces of clothing. Like, that's what I looked like. God. Yeah. He's so lovely. Can I ask, yeah. what made you call him and tell him, like, you don't have to do this? Or like, what made you try to break up with him during Oh, time? like total deep abandonment trauma. Long story short, my parents moved back to Korea when I was 15. My dad was a chemical engineer for Hyundai, and he got transferred back. There was no reason for my mom having to go back with him. My sisters were both already living in New York. So they're seven and eight years older than me. And um, they decided to leave me on my own. And so I never lived with another adult ever again. Like So I've been on my own since I was 15. And so that sense of abandonment, And I've literally done so much therapy on this. Like, I am in such a better place. But my immediate go-to is when I need and need to rely on people, my first instinct is to, like, cut them. Because I'm like, they might let me down. Like, my most formidable, dependent people let me down. So the way I protect myself is before they can disappoint me, I'm going to just not even give them the chance. Yeah. I totally relate to that. Yeah. So I was like, he comes from a totally different background where like his family is like just smothered with support. Like they're, everything is shared. Like there's, they're a total enmeshed family system. We are like the opposite. So he's like, why will you not let me be there for you? He was like so spooked. I, I, I know that it's a process. Yeah. It, it's years and it's something, well, for, for me personally, I continually have to work on to open up and yeah. even let my husband in. Sometimes. Yeah, 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 totally. Besides therapy, have you done any other forms of personal growth, any books or workshops that have? Oh, really yeah, helped? tons of books. When I got really burned out from work and I was like, should I just like quit my job? Like, am I crazy? This is the job. Like every intern walks into the news station and they never say, I want to be a news reporter. They all say like, I want to be the entertainment anchor. Right. Like I want to cover the Oscars. Like that's, I'm like, am I leaving the most coveted job because I'm like losing my mind? So I did like a lot of soul searching. Uh, Eckhart Tolle powered now, obviously like stable. I love the book power of moments uh, by Chip and Dan Heath. I love the untethered heart. And the surrender experiment, both written by Michael A. Uh, was it Mickey? Mickey? I think he goes by Michael A. Singer. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then what's another one? Oh, I, the second mountain. And that was really instrumental in me sort of pivoting to this new chapter. But I, I don't know. 
And the older I get, the more I embrace the chaos, because that's when you really truly see yourself yeah. and truly see others, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And Absolutely. so it's a part of life. Yeah. It, no, like I used to be well whenever things it. like felt really painful, like my, my first instinct was like to try to run as fast as I can in any direction to just like get relief from the pain. Yeah. And now I'm much better about sitting in it, in it and feeling it and knowing it will pass and, and knowing it's teaching me something in that moment. It's hard. It's hard. It is hard, but you've experienced yeah. coming out of the other side. Right. And like, and honestly, again, back to brain tumor being the biggest gift. I'm like, literally, I have the best go-to for every chaotic situation. I'm like, this is not a brain tumor. I'm going to be okay. Yeah. It gives you a certain yeah. level of confidence, yeah. right? Like, it just gives me grounding. Like, you know, for the longest time, my phone screensaver was of like when I just got out of the operating room and I like bloodied and like stitches were like showing and stuff because it humbles you when you start complaining about the small stuff, you know, traffic going on, like, like a renovation, like you're like, oh no, this happened to me. And so I really can't complain about, I mean, listen, it's all relative, right? And we all have, there's space for all of it, but it just like grounded me to the point where like, okay, nothing is ever going to be like this scary. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite thing about your husband? Oh God. He's like the most beautiful listener. He is. That's the first thing I noticed about yeah. him is you feel like you're really important when he's talking to you. He's such a good listener. And that's something that I'm not as good at. Like I paid the bills by gabbing. So of course. Right. But then like you think about, when you just talk, most often time, you're not like allowing yourself to learn anything new because you're regurgitating what you already know in your head, right? Versus if you're a listener, you're always learning something new. Yeah. And so he is just like the smartest person. And I think it's because he's just like this well of listening ears, you know? And, and you know, his dad's a therapist, so that's also great and annoying at the same time. <laughs> so, like, every argument starts with, like, I can totally see where you're coming from. And then where are you going to go from there? You know, it's like, I sometimes just want to argue. Yeah. I just want to come fight. Let me have the fight. But he'll be like, I know, you, I can totally see uh, why you're frustrated. I can totally see where you're coming from. And then, like, it leaves me no room to have fun. <laughs> It gives me no space to practice my Korean rage. It's just, I know. This Wait, is, have, yeah. have you ever argued before? Oh, yeah. But it's like, like all, almost every single time. Okay, so we did couples therapy because I was like, and, and I think this is such a good little, I mean, listen, therapy's in, like expensive. I get it. It's like a luxury for a lot of people. But if you can, make it a pack that within five years, you're going to start there because I will tell you, I know so many divorced friends. Both of my sisters are divorced. Like you quickly see when you go to couples therapy, the cracks are already like so deep. Yeah. And so like, what, like preventative medicine. Absolutely. Why can't you start working on stuff before the cracks form or like they're just surface level, right? So um, because I'm so scared of divorce, like I used to just think I would never get married because I'm like, oh, marriage is so scary. But what really what I was scared of is the divorce. And so... I got married and then like 
I, I made him promise that within five years we'll start couples therapy. And so we did. And we didn't, like, I think my therapist looked at us like, what, are we seriously talking about, like, arguing about, like, who got what at Trader Joe's? Because we didn't have, like, he had an affair or, like, you know, (laughs) everyone's problems carry weight. But, like, ours was just definitely not, like, what she was used to. But what it revealed was just, like, how much better you can communicate with someone and also... Every single therapy session, couples therapy session, was definitely like staggering, flashing lights that the problem was with me. <laughs> like I had so many abandonment issues. Like I I was like basically left to my own defenses at the, my most vulnerable stage besides infancy, right? 15. Like you can't drive, but you can get pregnant. There's drugs around, you know, and like you're all by yourself. Like so, there was there were so many ways I could have gone sideways, and and um, it, I'm thankful for it. But anyway, like almost every argument we had was like definitely rooted in my trauma. He and, didn't have it. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no. So gonna, he doesn't have any. Anything? He he does, but I think his da- damage is like the a mesh the thing, okay. like where I'm so independent and individual. He's the opposite. Okay. Like he doesn't want to stand out. He wants to take a, you know, he wants to take a backseat to everything. And so it plays out in a, to- like we are literally the yin and yang, or I say yin to my chang. Um, but you can use that for Pete because you have a chang. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. We could have a whole spinoff podcast called. <laughs> yeah. He's my yin to my chang. I, can you imagine if they came on my podcast? I feel like they would. No one would talk. Oh my god! <laughs> we both have men who really love us because they're extremely shy and private. And the fact that they like put up with their shenanigans where we overshare everything is like total proof. It's... Yeah, that and like brushing blood clots out of my hair. <laughs> All the other stuff, I don't know. <laughs> but those two things, I know he really loves me. Yeah, I love it. I love. I I mentioned to Pete that I. I would love to start going to therapy together. And I 100% agree. Yeah. Why wait until yeah. something's like a huge, huge Yeah. So problem? we did that for like two years, a year and a half. Okay. And then and then so my therapist break. like kindly was like, I think we're, our work is done here. But Julie, we should really just continue with you. <laughs> I was like, okay, noted. So yeah. So I had to do personal therapy for like two years. I stopped. And then the panic attack started happening when pandemic started. So I went back um, and then and then we'll see what happens now. Yeah. Do you know what triggered the panic attack? Oh, my God. You're going to totally get spooked out by this. I, I tell this story and like every time I tell them like the goosebumps raised. I have been very lucky to have traveled to 75 countries. Amazing. I used to when I lived in New York, I probably like took planes more than cabs because I was doing a long distance relationship with someone living in London. So I literally have hopped on so many flights, never giving it a thought, like would look forward to it because I was on a hellish morning shift where like I never slept. So I was like, oh, six hours where I can just sleep and no one can reach me. Amazing. And then cut to pandemic starts. And I'm like, any place where I cannot make a fast escape, like just, I felt like I was drowning. I can't take in breath. It first showed up for me when we went to take the kids to Big Bear to experience snow. The minute we were like in higher altitude and like in a car for that long, it's not even that long, it's like an hour and a half ride. I 
had to have Leif pull over on the side of a windy-ass road highway. And he walked with me with shoes off and socks off, two kids screaming in the car, just so I can, like, breathe again. And I was like, we have to turn around, we have to go home. He's like, honey, we just got here. It's, like, going to be two hours if we turn back now. It's, like, not going to be any better in the car for you. So that's when it first showed up for me. Second time it showed up for me, we went to, when COVID, like, kind of looked like it was phasing out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> psych. <laughs> um, we went to a 50-person, like, live theater performance. Gorgeous little intimate theater in the West Side. The minute they shut the theater doors, I had to, like, take my belt off, shoes off. Like, mm-hmm. I could not breathe. And and then, and then just... Thinking of the plane, I would have these recurring nightmares, and it's because, like, you see that in the news sometimes of like people who had to be duct taped to their seat because oh, yeah. they were so unruly. Right, right, like that was like me yeah. and my dream. Like I was like the lady who like kicked the door open, running down the tarmac, like like body slam me down, bring me back onto the plane, and like duct tape me to my seat. That was like playing out. So I did EMDR. Uh, I forgot what EMDR acronym stands for, but basically. If you are actually in a session with a therapist, they'll give you this machine that you hold. It's like two little pebbles, but it vibrates. And the vibration goes back and forth. And sometimes it's a long vibration, short vibration. Uh, All it does is it preoccupies your brain and disarms you enough so that they can go deeper. Okay. So if you distract the part of the brain that's like, oh, I want to sound good or I don't want to like reveal this part of me. It just like removes a layer. Okay. And they ask you really strategic questions. They're like, oh, well, when was the last time you felt this way? And when this happens, like what sensations happen? And it just, you lead them down to the trauma. So the first EMDR I do with her after the panic starts, um, the session wraps and she goes, have you ever almost drowned? And I'm like, I mean, like I've got, I had like scary current moments when I'm surfing, but like, no, I'm like, I like live for the ocean. I live for the pool. Like I love, I'm like a waterer. I'm like a mermaid. And she's like, okay. And I was like, why do you ask? She's like, well, you said the word drowning 11 times in the first 16 minutes. Oh, interesting. Didn't think about it. Second session, an hour of EMDR, she goes, I would I would really ask family members if you've ever like come close to drowning. Maybe you were a baby. Maybe you don't remember. I was like, why? She's like, well, you said the word drowning 26 times in a 45-minute EMDR session. So I was like, oh, okay. So I call my sister in New York, and I'm like, hey, do you know if I've ever like almost come like to drowning when I was little? And she's like, no. And she's like, why would you ask? I'm like, well, I have this image in my head where I'm like, I tip over. And my eyes sting, and I I grab two heaps of sand and pebbles, and I, I I just put it in my mouth, and I can like feel the grit, and and then I hear someone scooping scooping me up, and like people screaming, and she's like, "How would you ever remember that? You were eight months old." Mm. So, I mean, your nervous system never forgets. There's like a book called Your Body Keeps Score. It's so powerful. Your nervous system never forgets. And it was always laying there dormant. And I love the spin my therapist put on it. She said, how beautiful that your body now feels safe to process it. She said, you've been in a fighting flight stance for 17 years because you were in this like cutthroat broadcast environment. 
and you never felt quite secure and safe. So you just kept all this stuff in that needed to be processed. And she's like, for the first time in your life, you have a partner who is extremely supportive. So economically, you're in a comfortable place. So now your body is like, okay, you can be released. Mm. And so it's like, it was always going to show up. But the fact that you have this space of luxury to let it out and work through it, she's like, you should feel really good about it instead of being like, why is this happening to me? Right. You know, because that's a perspective I could have easily taken. Mm -hmm. That's like part of the panic, I guess. I mean, you never know the full story, but I think at the really, 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 really deep root of it was probably that scare with the uh, drowning. Besides the EMDR, yeah. is there anything else that helps? Valium. <laughs> Drugs. <laughs> yeah. I literally, I had like, oh, a big apologies. I used to like, I didn't even realize I was doing this until a friend of mine who's on prescription antidepressants was like, you know, do you ever realize like you kind of cast stigma on, you know, prescription drugs? And I was like, oh. And then this whole panic journey has been so humbling because you're like, you can do as much work possible, but it takes time yeah. and it's slow. You like, open the curtain and then you like see there's just like piles of stuff that you need to like unpack it's not going to be an overnight fix but at the same time like homegirl needs a vacation right so like we recently decided to go to hawaii after three years of full-on child care zoom school covid life and it was just me and Leif, and i had to take a volume for the flight because it's just like that's where i am i'm doing the work but it's like not quite enough and I learned about Valium through my neuro, um, neurologist. He, I had like a full-on panic attack in the MRI machine because, again, think about what triggers them, right? And a space that I can't escape easily, like there's nothing worse than an MRI machine. And then they now have this like new thing that make me wear because with my brain tumor history, I have to get an MRI. It used to be once every six months and now it's just once a year. But it looks like a Hannibal Lecter mask. It, it's like a hockey mask and it's just to make your head be like extra super still for the imaging. And then they like came with like screwdrivers Oh my god! and they like screwed it in. Yeah. Full panic. The x-ray is supposed to take an hour. Oh my god! I held it up for four hours by moving, panicking. And finally they were like, you are like literally disrupting all the other patients like imaging. So you need to go home. And then at that point, he was like, I think next time we do volume. I was like, why have we not been doing volume is the question. Yeah. So um, thank God for modern meds. Uh, I kind of see why like we, you don't, most people don't talk about it because it's like it's highly addictive. And it look like, you know, we all get addicted to like quick fixes. But no, I only just take it for the MRI and for one flight. It just was like transformative. Thank God for modern medicine. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I have a similar um, feeling about taking the drugs just because I didn't understand it. At yeah. First. And you see what's on the news headlines. It's like everyone becomes a junkie and like, Ugh. yeah. Yeah. And I, I can't imagine what it feels like, though. I actually I'm trying not to think about it too much because I'm like, am I going to cause myself to experience? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Because I, I have so many friends who have yeah. felt similar. Things. Well, it like, has shown up for a lot of people when I like when I resume my therapy and I was like, you're never going to believe this, but I'm having like panic issues about planes. And she was like, you and everyone else. Yeah. Okay. She said panic was like the number one thing. She could not even take on any more clients if she tried. Because I think a pandemic, especially for a parent, 
you already worry all the time that you can't keep your kids safe. But then a pandemic really reassures that you can't keep your like you can't even keep yourself safe. Like no one can be safe. And so it just festers all this weird stuff, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. All our nervous systems are, it's oh, just yeah. not no, it's natural. Like a, You're constantly. Right, right. And I really no feel for my therapist because I think about, this is probably the first time in like long time in human history that they, therapists, are collectively going through this trauma with their patients. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like, can you imagine all day, all night helping people through this? And then like... You're not titanium, like you're right. you're absorbing that stuff. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And isn't that why you left your news anchor job? Because you you tried, didn't you mention you tried to like I'm just shutting it off. I'm just you know reading, but oh no, it's it impossible goes, yeah, to it's not impossible. let and things affect you. Especially when you become a parent, you process news so differently. You know, I, I'll never forget. Remember those like children that were found in the basement, like chained to chairs, oh, like sixteen or nineteen kids. Um, it was in Paris, like California, or, or I remember. Uh, Austria, I think? Uh, no, it was in California. Yeah, yeah, it was no, in California, was, yeah. and like dad had that bowl here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You can't shake that kind of stuff off. And so, well, two things happened. What, what led me to um, developing 940 docuseries is when I was in the ICU after my brain tumor, you don't quite know if you're going to like fully make it because you're just like so drugged and like in so much pain. There was never a part of me that was like, oh, I wish I would have covered one more Oscar. <laughs> like, I wish I would have interviewed Brad Pitt one more time. Like, there was none of that. It was just like me literally looking at time in a completely different, uh, through an optical lens that is like, was so crystal clear. I started counting. You can do simple math and figure out like how many more times you're going to see your parents. Yeah. I started thinking about, oh, I read like five books a year. I wish I could read more, but you know, like time, right? And so you're like, I have to be so effing selective about the book I'm going to select next because I only have X amount of books probably left in my life. And so I became pregnant with Drix three months after my brain tumor surgery. That's like a whole nother Nicholas Spark story because they were like, you'll never get pregnant. And then doing the tumor ordeal, then getting pregnant you really start to like count the weeks and putting shape to time so it's like not as blurry because you're like, oh, I looked at death in the face. So now I have to really pay attention to how I'm going to live. And so 940 is the number of weekends from the time your child is born till he, she, or they become 18 or go to college. To put a tangible number to it is just like a friendly reminder that time is fleeting. So how are you going to savor it? And um, so that was like one thing, the tumor ordeal, just making me realize the fleeting nature of life and time and like how I'm going to slow it down and make it more meaningful. Because again, like I wasn't like, I, I need to interview Britney Spears one more time. No, that's not what was going through my mind. I was like, if I die tomorrow, what's what's the legacy I leave behind? What is the feeling that I leave with my loved ones? What's the contribution I've made as a human being? Is it Hollywood gossip that I want to leave behind? No. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> effing remembers any cool Hollywood story I covered. No one. Not even me because I was sleepwalking. And, and then so the brain tumor was one prong of it. 
The second one was after becoming a parent and being in the new space. You, especially school shootings, it frustrated me so much because it's so scary because you're like, this is going to happen at any school at any time. And I have two little humans, like what, what? And I'm a firm believer if you have time to complain and be frustrated, you probably have time to like work out a solution or at least contribute to a solution. And when I started looking at just about every tragedy in news, the culprit was always someone who felt extremely unseen, isolated, completely disconnected. So I thought, I can't really do anything about gun policy because it's a hot mess. But what I can do is maybe teach or show people the tools to better connect where it counts the most in the home. So that's how 940 was born. It was like, I'm not going to complain about school shootings anymore. I'm not going to. I'm going to instead shift the focus to how do I make that kid that could be a potential shooter connect with at least one person? Because that's all it takes. And that's how I am where I am because I didn't have parents from 15 and on. That was part of my life every day. I had a a high school guidance counselor who I'm still in touch with, Dr. Byrell. He was like my one person that believed in me. And that's all it takes. One person to like believe in you is all it takes to keep you on course. And I was like, surely enough, like people know this information, right? Nobody knows because we've lost our way. We've lost our way. Um, yeah, so like 940 is a show now available on YouTube. And I would love some subscription because we like we're griping about how hard it is to grow the YouTube space. Instagram has been lovely for me. Yeah. But YouTube, I think like if you're not 12, you're not hot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> on YouTube, if you are over the age of 12, like the ship has sailed. So and um, and I do want to continue making this meaningful content. And all the episodes are like very watchable, 10, 15 minutes. And YouTube has it formulated so that unless you have a thousand subscribers, they don't pay you for the ads that they place on your content. And so like at no cost to you, if you just subscribe, like it could help people like us trying to make content that improves people's lives, you know, and it's so, so anyway, that's my PSA. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) If you have any friends who make content a like a comment or a, or a subscription. subscription yeah i tell my husband this all the time and, and he doesn't get it just because he's not on yeah. social media and I'm, I'm like it means so much to me just if you yeah. I, i've watched him scroll past my work i'm like babe can you like it and he doesn't get it. he's like Does yeah that really make yeah a difference? no i'm like it costs you nothing <laughs> but youtube who has globs of money can now start to like give me a little you know like really little by the way it's not like gonna you know, pay any bills, but at least it will like make me feel like I'm not completely burning through all the cash to produce this, you know, but it does fill my cup. So like, I love doing it. And like the first episode's hilarious. It's, um, I found a bonafide tree whisperer in London and she teaches me, my kids and Leif how to communicate with the tree because connecting with nature is one of the easiest, most accessible ways for us to slow down time. And so the funniest thing is Leif was so surly. He was like, what do you want me to do? Because like I didn't give him any contact. I like pulled him out of his conference call. I'm like, can you, can you come here? He's like, what do you need me to do? I'm like, go talk to that tree. He's like, what? He's like, woman, 
<laughs> I brought you back from brain tumor. Like, leave me the F alone. No. He was like, you want me to do what? On camera. He's like a surly teenager. And then he goes, and he's the only one that hears something back right away. Of course. Leif. Yeah. Leif, of course, Leif, the listener. Of course the tree is going to confide in Leif because he's like the human listener, like of the greatest listener of all time. Yeah. But you know, it's like half the time it's an act because he, he's like, I'm listening. I was like, don't you remember we had a birthday party? Yeah. It's just like, but it's usually like a blank thought bubble. Like you're like, oh, he's so hot, like a mysterious and a good listener. And meanwhile, it's like tumbleweeds. <laughs> okay. I have one last question yeah. because a lot of our listeners are independent women who are yeah. into personal growth and yeah. they'd love to create the life of their dreams. And that includes having a loving partner. Yeah. And what you talked about last hour, all the personal growth. Mm -hmm. So if you could give them advice. Yeah. Just like you're giving your daughter Lulu advice. Like what what are you teaching her about yeah. how to create the life of your dreams? Well, this sounds so like yoga guru, but it's really true. I think the most important step you should take, especially as a woman, is inward. Because the outside world will tell you like your worth is valued by your looks. You need to rely on a partner who makes a high income. Like the world is just full of damaging messaging period but especially towards women so take that inward step the second thing is everything that happens in your life is usable so stop playing victim and think about what if this is happening for me not to me and how can you change that perspective so that you're like oh like for me I could like be, oh, boo is me. I had a brain tumor and I don't have half my vision. Like, no. Look at what it did for me. It sped up the time for me to see Leif was in it. You know? It made me hit a reset button so I totally was able to take true stock of life. Listen, I'm human. I forget too. I start complaining about stupid shit. But like, what a gift because I view it as a gift. Um, and then... Thirdly, you can manifest some powerful shit. So I'm a vision thinker, and I'll never forget, I created this vision board, I want to say like 10, 15 years ago. And I just like posted things that like evoked like feelings in me as opposed to like words like I'm going to be a CEO, like nothing like that. It was like 10 little toes peeking out of bed sheet with like little toes sticking out, parents cuddling a kid. I don't know. It was just like cute toes sticking out of like a bed sheet coffee like really yummy looking coffee ocean um like sun rays peeking through a gauzy curtain so i created this whole board every single one of them has come to fruition you can manifest really really powerful shit not like don't attach yourself to like the wording but attach yourself to the feeling you want it kind of like gravitates you to that I don't know how to describe no, it's it. it's true. You the, know? the feeling is the most important part. Because any, I mean, you could glue any photo yeah. you want, but if you don't believe it, if you still think it's impossible. Yeah. And then the happen. work is like, have that vision board and have that feeling you know you want. And that can be your person. The stability and the loving and care and like hot, sexy, whatever. That feeling, like you're gravitating towards that. And then like adulting is fucking hard, right? So like shit happens. And what do we do? we'll like retract and we'll clench up and we'll like start acting all weird. That's when like you can't manifest it. 
So besides the hardships of life, can you take the punches as they come and then stay open despite it? Like, can you almost like imagine yourself as like a Brita filter? All the shit's like pouring in, but it just like filters out and you don't hang on to any of it. The most common compliment I get about myself is like, you have so much energy. You have so much light. And the way I listen to that is that despite the curveballs that have been thrown at my way, I've stayed open. It's hard. It's really hard. It's like so tempting to like be a fear, you know, minded person and just like retract. If I stay open, what's going to happen? Like is like that that's the energy people feel. And when you have that openness, like what comes back your way is like beyond your greatest imagination. I would have never thought I deserved or would have a chance at meeting someone like Leif. He literally, in our wedding bands, I put my life, my Leif, because he literally, I don't mind, I promised myself I wasn't going to cry. But he is like, I just, I, I didn't know they make men like that. I didn't know. I didn't know they make humans like that. And so it just, that was just like me staying open to the possibilities. And it, it, it was like worth that risk of being vulnerable and putting yourself out there and just like despite the hardships, never getting hard. So like do the work. That's like the work I, I tried to do every day. It's like, okay, what's weighing me down? What's making me feel callous? Like, how do I sit on it and then release? Like, how do I let that just filter through me? Because the only loss is felt on me by hanging on to it because it's going to make me miss that next opportunity. You know what I mean? So anyway, um, now I'm crying. Yeah. Do you have a tissue? I do, I do. And like the the wonderful behind the scenes folks here gave me the scratchiest (laughs) one. So I'm now having like rug burn on my nose. Thank you. Thank you for that. Stay grateful. That's another life tip. (laughs) Did I, do we get to the bukkake? Oh, we ran out of time. Next time. Gang bang is part two of this conversation. I didn't get to any of this good stuff I teased. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. You're so inspiring. You have so much wisdom. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing that. Thank you for having me. I just, you know, we're neighbors. I didn't want eggs thrown in my house. So I was like, okay. (laughs) If people would like to get in contact with you or see the work you put out in the world, where can they reach you? Only fans. Um, 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 940 with Julie Chang. If you Google that, that will immediately take you to my YouTube channel, hopefully. Um, Instagram, super active there, super unfiltered, almost to a fault. Like, are we our poor husbands? And my Instagram handle is at truly Julie Chang. And, um, you know, I'm TikTok, all those things, but you know, Instagram and YouTube is probably where it matters the most for me. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. As someone who's producing a show about the value of time, thank you. Hi again. I'm at Julie Chang's house, my neighbor. Hi. <laughs> this is the real us, by the way. I, like sweats, no bra, hair <laughs> sideways. Yeah. We're borrowing each other's clothes. 
Look at that. Ski gear for Christine's Aspen trip. Yeah, because I own no ski ski gear. This girl's from California. But you fancy. You fancy going to Aspen. Yeah. (laughs) Just wait. Okay, so Julie wanted to drop one more nugget. We forgot to drop a nugget here. I came home after my podcast with you and I'm just like, God, that was really annoying. I painted this like love story, Nicholas Sparks-esque, like, oh, we met. I was really like a brain tumor and he saved me. And we like, like, no. Um, there was no news you can use in that that story. So I wanted to do a follow-up and give you some piece of advice that really served me well. When I was a cubby reporter in New York, there was a, a, a reporter named Kathy Hobbs who'd been a reporter for many years in New York. She was unlucky in love, always dating the wrong guy. And she just sat me down and she said, I'm going to tell you something I wish someone told me when I was 24. You have to be just as ambitious and strategic about your love life as you are about your career. And that's so true. Yes. Like your perfect person is not going to fall on your lap. Like your your perfect job is not going to just fall on your lap. You can't expect people to do that as well. So um, I was very strategic in getting very clear about the type of person that was going to work for me. And when I realized Leif was a person, I literally like, I was like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but you just have to be so strategic. And I know society will tell you if you're strategic and you plan to meet your person that somehow you're desperate or calculated, whatnot. No, please don't buy into that because it's, it's what you need to do to like build your dream life, dream person, whatever. Um, it's just not gonna, you're not gonna find a happy accident. It's true. A life you love takes intention and it yeah. doesn't stop after you meet them. Yeah. We both know we're married. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. Girl, I know. Okay. Um, yeah. So just, I think it's, I think they say like love and energy, like what you focus on is where the love and energy goes. And it's like, that's the thing. It's like when you get very clear about wanting to be with one person and what kind of person that is, like all of that will take work. And I don't want you to get stressed when you're like, why isn't it just happening like Julia Roberts? Like, why isn't he just like stumbling upon my life? It doesn't happen like that. I think it could. It could. Could, But... more often not like it, it doesn't if you want it if if that's what you're looking for yeah. you should be intentional about yeah. it yeah like if you want any career goal what do you do you often like sit down and some people are fancy enough to get like a career coach and you literally bullet pro, uh, point like this next step by step like I don't think there's any shame to do that about your love life no shame and I think some people think it's not romantic yeah you know we fantasize true. about like the you know, I know. I, I like when people meet by um, like dating apps. They're like all shameful. They're like, yeah, yes. no, no. no. I was like, yes. Like, what's the shame? Who cares if the person yeah. is in front of you? Who yeah. cares how you meet them? If you're happy, yeah. That doesn't matter. So that was the thing I needed to share with you. Is that like Leif didn't just like stumble into my life. I didn't just stumble into his. Like, like I saw that target. and I was like. <laughs> <laughs> like Bambi he had no chance he had no chance I lasered in so hard you did good I am older so I am like a cougar I was like I like this little gazelle unassuming gazelle 
She did good. And he cooks pho. I came over for pho. Oh, that was really A white yeah. guy that yeah, cooks I pho. Know. I broke him in good, girl. Come I don't on. actually, I don't even know what? how to make pho. I didn't? Yeah. I don't yeah. either. Anyway, look mm. at us. We're looking good. <laughs> Keeping it real. <laughs> yeah. So get, get very clear about who you want, what you want, and then like strategize how you're going to be in that, in that relationship. Because it's just not going to happen like wake up and Mr. Perfect's there. Nope. Mm-mm. Good luck. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> Thank you for listening, everyone. If you've enjoyed the show, please give it five stars and write a review. It helps my rankings, and I really, really appreciate it. And if you're interested in my book to read or gift to a friend, it's called Show Up, Finding Love for Independent Women, and it's available on Amazon. Have a great day.